0: And welcome to The Stockout. Hope everyone's uh, week is off to a good start. I'm Mike Bowden-Distel. I'm the head of Intermodal Solutions here at uh, FreightWaves. And this show, uh, The Stockout, is the one show at FreightWaves where we focus on the consumer packaged goods or the CPG industry, which is an important uh, industry for transportation. According to the Consumer Brands Association, the CPG industry makes up about one-fifth of all freight transportation. So that's really why you should care. Even if you're not directly involved in the CPG industry, there's also a lot to be learned about you know, various aspects of the supply chain and what the consumer is doing based on their uh, buying behavior. So I'll talk about those things today. Um, what I'll do is I'll split this show into two parts. The first part, I'll go through uh, CPG news, so news specifically to consumer packaged goods industry, what's happening with earnings, what's happening with consumer, all those things. And then the second half, I'll go through um, you know, some of the transportation data highlights from Sonar and some of the just the highlights of things that I'm pulling out of there that I really think that you should be paying attention to um, as a professional in or around the freight transportation uh, industry. So I'll do that today and then about the next 24 minutes. And uh, before I do that, I um, would like to give a, th- a thanks to RJW Logistics Group. For sponsoring uh, this show, RJW owns and operates every step of the middle mile. As an asset based integrated logistics company, they offer a full suite of retail supply chain solutions under one roof, including industry leading retail consolidation that consistently delivers over 98% on time in full month after month to many retailers. RJW's programs offer global suppliers control and transparency, helping them improve in stocks, achieve retail compliance. Grow market share and increase sales. Visit rjw.com to optimize your supply chain today. So, big thanks to RJW Logistics uh, Group. And um, you know, with that, I'll get into um, you know talking about sort of the, the macro side of things. You know, first of all, and I think you know one of the big uh, you know, news stories last week that sent the, the stock market up was inflation, maybe getting to be you know a little bit past the the, the, the peak. Um, you know, there came in. Uh, eight eight and a half percent in July, still still really high. It is better than the nine point one percent in June. Um, that it was up, which was a forty-one year high. The issue, though, uh, for most consumers and uh, let's say the CPG industry, is that most of that decline was driven by energy, uh, and in particular, um, you know, gasoline prices, which fell seven point seven percent. Um, you know, diesel fuel, which is, um, you know, goes into a lot of You know, components that ultimately go into CPG, whether that's packaging or um, fertilizer or a lot of the um, you know ingredients, it's part of that cost. Still up seventy one percent year over year. So um, really, uh, it's it's still at a high level. And I think the one um, you know component of inflation that's most relevant to CPG. Have a chart on this from the Bureau of Labor Statistics is the producer price index for food manufacturing specifically. Now this was up thirteen point three percent year over year in July that's the largest twelve month increase since may nineteen seventy nine so that one it really hasn't um, you know hasn't backed off of. You sort of look at the last two months and at the very right of that chart how it came down just a tiny bit so maybe that means that it's as high as it's as it's going to go on the um, you know producer price index for for food manufacturing that has been something that CPG companies have been struggling with is just their costs. Rising for um, pretty much everything from ingredients to labor to packaging to any fertilizer that goes into any of the ingredients. Of course, freight transportation, uh, which we'll talk on uh, you know more um, you know later. So you sort of dive into a little bit more of, of what's happening with with food. Uh, you know, prices or the food index up one point one percent in July uh, month over month from June. Uh, food at home prices up one point three percent and up thirteen point one percent the past year. Uh, some of the the largest components of food that have been rising the most, eggs up thirty eight percent, butter margarine up twenty six, coffee up twenty. percent uh, that's partially due to, I think, weather conditions in Brazil where a lot of the the beans uh, you know come from rice, bread, pasta crackers, those are up fifteen to seventeen percent, baby food up fifteen percent. And that reflects a lot of the ingredients for food and packaging. You know, wheat prices up twenty two percent, aluminum up thirteen, edible oils up fourteen percent. Year over year, that's been an interesting uh, area with with edible oils. That's really been exacerbated by the war in Ukraine, uh, not being able to get out the sunflower oil, and it's caused the price of all these other edible oils to to rise. That are substitutes like you know other vegetable oils, canola oil, those type of things. Um, you know, a lot of uh, you know snack products have you know, edible oils in them, like you think of Oreos having palm oil um, but it can be substituted for other types of edible oils, but all those edible oil prices seem to be moving the same direction um, you know all up you know double digits uh, you know year over year so haven't seen a lot of um, you know evidence of food inflation declining, but maybe it's leveling out at a high level um, you know in short moving on to topic number two, um, the inflation reduction act and the impact that might have on uh, CPG, um, saw earlier in the day and Freightwaves Now, um, you know, Anthony Smith and our, our chief economist and, uh, you know, a couple other guys were talking about, um, you know, that, that Re- Inflation Reduction Act. As I sort of think about that in the context of the CPG industry, um, you know, I think the part that stands out to me as, as maybe having the biggest impact would be this 1% tax on stock buybacks. I mean, some of these other things like, Having a 15% um, you know, minimum tax. I mean, so many of these companies are full cash taxpayers. Usually, companies uh, you know will pay a low corporate tax if they have a lot of revenue coming from overseas. But a lot of the what what you think of as CPG companies, large portion of their um, you know revenue comes uh, you know domestically. So I, I think that applies to fewer of them. But but the, on the stock buybacks. You know, so many CPGs are just really big cash flow generators. I mean, some of them, you know, will generate billions of dollars of free cash flow, you know, every year, consistently, year after year. And that's part of the reason why they're also big dividend payers. You think of a company like, um, you know, the, this, the, this, you know, the JM Smucker company, you know, consistent revenue stream, you know, generates lots of cash. And, you know, I've always thought it was kind of a misnomer that, um, really they stock buybacks. Which have been, um, you know, so huge over the last several years that that's something that's keeping uh, wages depressed. I mean, really, you know, people's wages are is driven by the supply and demand for those particular skills, and, and people willing to work those, you know, particular jobs. And um, you know, a company not, uh, you know, repurchasing shares isn't going to make um, you know, people's wages rise. So what they're going to do instead is either pay out more you know, dividends, which, um, you know, that's a little risky because companies don't want to cut dividends. So they might see more one-time dividends, which I think you might see in the in CPG industry, or you'll see more acquisitions, which the CPG industry has been very acquisitive of late, uh, particularly as CPG companies have looked to um, improve their product portfolios. And by improve, I mean head into areas that are higher revenue growth areas, and a lot of those uh, categories would include products that focus on, you know, health and fitness. Like you just think of, you know, the other week when uh, uh, Mondelez, you think of them, you know, being the owner of Oreos and all these other, you know, snacks that aren't particularly good for you. But, you know, they they, they acquired Cliff Bar and, and Luna and you know, most of their recent acquisitions have been in sort of that health space. So I think you're going to see more, you know, potentially more. Um, you know acquisitions with with CPGs. You know as a result of uh, attacks on, on on stock buybacks, maybe that's you know the CFOs will think of that as being a better you know option for them. I'll move on to topic uh, number three: is uh, CPG earnings the last you know three weeks? Let's say have really shown a change. I think in, in in consumer behavior. Now maybe some of these trends aren't a surprise that consumers are cutting back, but it was notable how. Different consumer behavior was in, let's say, the second quarter versus even just the first quarter. And one example of that was Tyson, the you know meat uh, processing giant. Um, their volumes were down two percent on an eight percent increase in prices. Now, what's different about that versus prior quarters is you know these prior quarters, meat prices were rising twenty percent, thirty percent, forty percent they were still able to grow volume. It seemed like that was just something consumers did not want to cut back on. And it seems like maybe it's not something they want to cut back on, but it's something they're sort of being forced to cut back on now. So you're seeing meat volumes decline for some of these big companies. They talked about how there was a a shift towards private label rather than the name brand. And then there was a shift within meat where consumers are buying more chicken, which um, those volumes were up, up a couple percent. The volumes were down in beef and pork higher um, cost categories from the consumer's perspective. So you are seeing a pretty significant shift there um, relates to some of what we've talked about on freight waves. Um, Now with credit card balances now being above where they were before the pandemic after having come down and savings rates um, are are at the lowest level they've been at for some time. So consumers seem to be forced to cut back on the meat they enjoy. Um, Another thing that I thought was notable was Treehouse Foods, which if you're not familiar with Treehouse Foods, they're a manufacturer of private label uh, packaged food products for companies like Trader Joe's, Aldi. So they're they're kind of behind the scenes, um, you know, letting you know Trader Joe's, et cetera, sort of have that name brand. But uh, you know, those products tend to be cheaper by about thirty ish percent, and they've they've seen uh, an increase in uh, sales. And sort of the statistic that stands out to me is in the second quarter, private label brands had a two percent volume growth. Um, and a 15% sales growth, so let's call it 13%. Uh, you know, pricing. Meanwhile, the national brands uh, posted a 9% sales growth on a 5% sales decline. So national brand volume declining, private label brand rising, and that's something I think that seeing CD- CPG companies, you know, watching this or uh, transportation companies that serve the CPG industry, they should be modeling in. That share shift from the national brands to, this, to, this, to, the, to the private labels, This is a reversal of a trend that we saw during the pandemic where, during the pandemic, people weren't going anywhere, they had more dis- disposable income, they bought more of the national brands, you know, some of them were from the youth, their youth, gave them a, a, an opportunity to sort of interact with a lot of new brands, but that seems to be going away, um, at least on the margin to uh, you know, consumers that are a little bit more cost conscious. Uh, topic number 4 and this is going to be the last one in cpg land before i shift over to freight transportation uh, specifically uh plant based meat alternatives continue to struggle i think um you know that's fair to say and you know meat uh, beyond meat is is the one that's the pure play uh cpg company that is in um in this, these these plant based meat alternatives and you know, their shares have, have, have been down about 75% in the last 12 months. Uh, companies losing a lot of money, their their um, revenue growth rate in the last quarter was 1%. You go back about six quarters and it was growing about 100%. And they just announced that they're, they're, um, they're cutting about 4% of their workforce. And the question sort of becomes, is this a, you know, issue? are these issues that are specific to Beyond Meat? Yeah, they're just more visible because they're the one publicly traded Plant-based alternatives company, or is this an entire category issue? I think it's some of both, but certainly on the category side, um, you know, Maple uh, Maple Leaf, which is a, a company that is publicly traded, has a large um, plant-based meat, uh, plant-based um, you know meat alternative business. They say they're cutting that business twenty-five you know, percent. Demand fails to meet expectations. There also. Transitioning the business to what they say is going to be profitable through a combination of um, you know right sizing and you know revenue management. I don't think they announced how many um, you know employees they are potentially going to going to cut, um, but um, they're 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 de-emphasizing their investments in uh, in, in plant based uh, meat. So it seems like it's it's a category issue. I think part of the reason is that those products are priced above sort of the traditional you know meat. And I know that a goal for Beyond Meat is to have a um, you know burger. That's plant-based, that is at taste parity and cost parity with, uh, you know, ground beef. Not there yet. I also think they expanded too uh, quickly into some of these other um, you know, product categories, like the Beyond sausage, which I think a lot of consumers didn't uh, you know, particularly like. Uh, but um, that entire category seems to be really, um, you know, struggling, uh, you know, right at the moment. Um, so that's uh, CPG news uh, for uh, this week. Um, Before getting into some sonar charts, I would like to again thank RJW Logistics Group. Um, Are you assessing the advantages of prepaid versus collect freight management for delivery into retail? RJW Retail Consolidation Program consistently achieves over 98% on time and in full to ensure a stronger shelf presence, increased in stocks, retailer compliance, and overall retail supply chain improvement. Visit rjw.com to speak with a retail logistics expert. About the advantages of RJW's program, and to make the best decisions for your business. So, thanks again to RJW Group for uh, sponsoring the stockout. Um, I'll try to get them on a stockout show here in the, the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, and with that, I'm going to go through a few uh, sonar charts. I'd like to bring up this first one um, on the van contract uh, side. So, so here, uh, this is uh, you know in white line our van contract rates these uh, exclude uh, fuel surcharges and yeah, this is from a company that processes um you know transactions payments but you can see um you know these have, have risen you know in, in general you know second quarter rates well above last year's second quarter rates but it does seem like they're starting to trend down it looks like they peaked about three dollars a mile at the beginning of june they're now at 281 but what's also interesting is this green line which is the spot rate. So we have contract rates in white, we have spot rates in green, and you see this entire period on the left side of the chart. You know, all of last year, we saw spot rates, you know, nicely above, you know, contract, uh, you know, rates by let's call it twenty-five cents a mile. You know, sort of peaking at the end of last year, getting into this year in March, those lines crossed, and uh, spot rates have, have really come way, way down. Now you have uh, a, a pretty significant spread there of 71 cents per mile contract rates higher than spot rates by 71 cents per mile. We're excluding fuel from those, um, you know, sort of backing backing out fuel is what I would say from the, the spot rates. And you see this gap of, of 71 cents. That's very unusual and it's not sustainable. So either the the spot rates have to rise or the contract rates have to fall. I think the overwhelming likelihood is that the contract rates have to fall. They're already starting to fall And I think there's a good, um, you know, the overwhelming likelihood is that 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 the transportation costs have peaked. It's still maybe a period of time before CPG companies are calling out transportation costs as being a tailwind, but those lines are gonna are are gonna converge, and I think you're gonna see, you know, contract rates, uh, you know, fall, uh, you know, here in the coming, uh, you know, quarters. It looks like they have a have a long way uh, to fall. So that was sort of the first chart I wanted to go over. The next one is. you know, pertains to intermodal, and it's the total outbound domestic rail container volume that's loaded. So these are loaded fifty-three foot containers, which should be thought of as a different market than in the international containers, which are the forty-foot containers, the twenty-foot containers that you know go across oceans on the um, steamship lines. We're not talking about those. We're talking about the fifty-three foot containers here, and. What this shows is that uh, the white line is 2022. That's tracking above last year in purple by about 5%. Now, it's not because the volumes have strengthened. It's because last the, the comp versus a year ago have, have gotten um, you know, easier. So you recall last year, the service issues were really severe on the railroad. There's a shortage of chassis, a shortage of draymen. Uh, There's congestion at the terminals. A lot of those things are still true today. They're just not true. In as severe uh, of, of a manner, so that's really why you're seeing, you know, volume growth is sort of less severe congestion combined with uh, a lot of the domestic intermodal companies, Hub Group, uh, JB Hunt. They've taken delivery of containers, so there's more container availability. Last year was plagued by a lot of containers being in the wrong places and not being available to to, to move freight. You look com- you know, back to two years ago, though, in the green line is a 2020 uh, volume and. That um, you know we're a little bit below, and you really see the last few years how you've had sort of that traditional you know peak season, if you want to call it traditional peak season, which is an intermodal October tends to be the strongest month. It's not clear to me if that's going to happen this year uh, with inventories being at a high level, with the consumer um, you know slowing, and so so the so last couple of years you've seen actually kind of November almost being the peak uh, month, sort of with the. Exclu- Excluding that that, that um, Thanksgiving week, and then you know a step up again in December. You know, I think it's going to be slower this this um, you know fourth quarter. Um, you know, maybe even slower this third quarter as well. There's still a lot of uh, you know container ships to be unloaded at a lot of the ports, uh, but once we work sort of work through those um, those volumes, um, I think uh, you'll we'll see um, you know volumes start to start to tail off a, a, a little bit. So. Um, those are two, you know, sonar charts I wanted to, to throw up there, and I'm not sure if um, you know, the production team has any others that I have not talked about yet. But if so, okay, oh, great. So, um, and thanks for throwing that up there. So, what this shows is the uh, Freitas. Now, now heading on to the ocean, these are the freitos uh, Baltic Daily Index on the left for China to North America West in um, white. So, so let's call it the Trans-Pacific um, to mostly the ports of, port of, ports of LA and Long Beach. And then you have the longer route in orange from China to the U.S. you know East Coast, Savannah or other ports along the East Coast. And a couple of things stand out there. One, they're, they're way down from their highs, which shows that there's been an alleviation in the congestion um, you know, on the waterway. And those, um, you know, the, the shippers are less concerned about, you know, getting their containers, you know, covered, you know, during the height of the pandemic, there were all these issues with containers getting rolled over from one vessel to another vessel. That's what really caused, you know, some of those, uh, those container rates to spike. There was also, you go back here last year, you see that huge spike uh, in the middle of, of 2021 dose did change the way that they calculated that data. So that so, so that's contributes to that big spike. But I think the important thing here is just how much they've trended down. And then also that chart on the right is the spread between China, North America to the east and China, North America to the west. And so usually what happens if uh, you know, time is uh, sort of of the essence that, uh, that um, you know, line will decline and the spread will decline, which means that uh, shippers are are demonstrating more of a preference to move freight to the West Coast instead of the the East Coast. The reason you would do that would be to get the goods to market quicker. So it's always going to be more expensive to move freight from China through the Panama Canal to the East versus moving it from China to the West Coast. We're talking about that would be a four-week route versus, let's say, a two-week route. Um, but uh, there's there's less of a premium when there's a big demand to get those goods to the us quickly to to consumption centers quickly. The spread has risen, which tells you that there's less need for speed on the water that shippers are taking their time, which is completely consistent with you know inventories for general merchandise you know being at a very high level for a lot of the big box retailers. Um, you know, saw the other day that Walmart is cutting a couple hundred, uh, you know, corporate employees, which um, you know tells you that you know they're very bearish. They're they're seeing a slowing in their, um, you know, in their revenue. It wasn't long ago when you know they were really you know trying to to hire, and there were all those headlines about how much Walmart was was paying for you know certain employees. So so their business seems to have changed very quickly. I'm sure other um, you know retailers are seeing something. That is, um, you know, that's very similar uh, to that, and um, so we, we expect that to translate into a looser freight market um, domestically going forward. Just because you'll have, uh, you know, fewer, you know, fewer imports. Um, that's ultimately something that, you know, should benefit uh, the CPG companies. Um, you know, one of the things that we've noticed is the, uh, you know, tender rejection rates. I think I may have a chart on the tender rejection rates. Uh, for, you know, dry van and reefer, which those have come way down, um, you know, from where they were. And the dry van tender rejection rate is just about, actually just under uh, 6%. That's the lowest it's been in a couple of years. The refrigerated tender rejection rate is just over 6%. Um, You know, there you go. So, so, so um, dry van is in, is in white you know, that was upwards of, you know, close to 30% um, you know, at the end of, of 2020. Um, you see now it's down to 6%, which is, you know, closer to where it was in 2019. You'll recall 2019 was a very weak, um, you know, uh, year for the carriers. Lots of bankruptcies, you know, took place that that year. That seems to be where, we ha- where we're headed. I think um, we're in a situation where uh, carriers are happy to accept tenders and we're in a deflationary environment for freight contract rates. It's been maybe more striking how quickly the reefer rates have fallen. The reefer rates are in green. We go back to early 2021. We were calling that coin flip compliance because uh, about 50% of tenders in early 2021 uh, were being rejected. And now it's down there at 6.4%. So you've seen in in both cases, you know, a a loosening. And so it, it tells you that, you know, contract rates, uh, for freight, not going any higher. If anything, they're going lower. And uh, you know, we we think of those um, you know rejection rates as leading the spot market, and the spot market as leading the the, the contract uh, you know rates. So if there's um, you know, some good news with CPGs, you know their transportation costs you know tends to represent you know eight or nine percent of their cost of goods uh, say, sold. You know, not as big of a of a deal as you know ingredients or labor or even packaging to a lot of these companies, um, but it is still you know, pretty significant. It's, it's one thing that should help the CPGs start to recover the margin uh, you know, pressure that they felt you know, really you know, throughout last year um, as uh, their costs have risen faster than the prices that they've been able to push through their retail channel you know, onto consumers. So I think uh, you know, CPG uh, margins will start to improve here in uh, the coming quarters. So with that, um, that's really what I wanted to go over today. Um, would invite anyone to sign up for my newsletter, which, uh, you know, comes out, um, you know, at least once a week, uh, sometimes twice a week. If it's a slow week for dealing with data requests, you can do that at www.freightwaves.com forward slash the stock out and you can sign up for that. Um, and thanks and hope everyone has a good uh, Monday.